Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California and today's discussion about climate change, our youth, and mental health. I'm John Zippero, the club's vice president of media and editorial and Michelle's co-host. We want to thank Blue Shield of California for generously supporting tonight's program. At the Commonwealth Club, we're continuing to produce hundreds of programs a year on a wide variety of issues online as well as many in-person programs. So head over to commonwealthclub.org slash MMS for more upcoming programs as well as video and audio of our past events. Now, if you're watching us live on YouTube, add your questions to the chat box and we'll work them into our conversation here today. Now, to get us started, I'm pleased to introduce Antoinette Meyer, Vice President of Corporate Citizenship at Blue Shield of California. Antoinette? Thank you, John. I'm thrilled to be here today on behalf of our 7,800 employees and the more than 4.7 million members we serve. If we have any Blue Shield of California members on the call, we wanna thank you for trusting us as your valued healthcare partner. I also wanna thank Michelle Miao and the Commonwealth Club for hosting today's discussion, as well as our inspiring panelists and all of you for listening. In my role at Blue Shield, I have one of the best jobs and that is to engage and leverage our talent and our resources to tackle barriers to well-being, and to empower all Californians to reach their full potential. We focus our efforts on three areas, youth mental health through our Blue Sky Initiative, environmental sustainability, and social justice. I'm super excited because today's discussion threads the needle across each of these areas in that it's focused on how our climate change, changing climate, is affecting the mental health of our youth. Climate change is a public health crisis. There are many adverse health effects associated with climate change from heat and drought-related impacts, air pollution from wildfires, to worsening seasonal allergies. And these are just the physical impacts. We also know that the climate crisis will disproportionately impact the health of historically marginalized communities here in California. At Blue Shields, we take climate change seriously and have established an ambitious set of goals and initiatives to reduce our company's effect on the planet and to engage the healthcare industry in adopting and promoting climate smart healthcare. But climate change isn't just affecting us physically. Our mental health is also adversely affected by our warming planet. Blue Shield of California's latest next-gen youth climate survey finds that four out of five Generation Z California youth say they have experienced at least one mental health-related impact as a result of reading, seeing, or hearing climate change-related news. 44% of those who've experienced negative feelings due to climate change say they typically talk to their parents when they feel that way. This is actually a good thing and the basis of our panel discussion. Joining us for today's Michelle Miao show are my colleague, David Bond, who's the Director of Behavioral Health at Blue Shield of California. He is also a licensed clinical social worker and an expert on childhood trauma. Our second panelist is Maya Gomez. She is a student representative with the nonprofit Mind Out Loud and an incoming senior at Whitney High School in Rockland, California. Our third panelist, Joel Castro, is an incoming freshman at UC Berkeley, fresh off his senior year at Herbert Hoover High School in San Diego, where he was the president of the school Cesar Chavez Service Club. Welcome panelists, and thank you for your time on this very important topic. Without delay, let's start the show. For that, I turn it back over to co-moderators, Michelle Miao and John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club of California. Antoinette, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And thank you to Blue Shield and, of course, all of our speakers today for this very important conversation. I'm here in Thailand continuing the Pride 
coverage. So I know San Francisco just had your pride, happy pride again. It looked like it was amazing. Pride here continues in Chiang Mai. I'm here at the 132 Pillars. It's a historical resort with royal ties. All right. Let's begin our conversation with maybe checking in with our speakers and having you briefly talk about your work. Maya, want to begin for us? Yes, absolutely. So I'm here to talk a little bit about my work with Mind.Loud. And I think that as Mind.Loud is an organization that prioritizes student voices and mental health advocacy, I really hope to bring my perspective on how advocates can help self-care and help care for their own mental health in order to dive deeper into advocacy of all types, including climate activism. So I'm really excited to bring a perspective on youth mental health advocacy to our discussion today. Hello. Uh, yeah, so throughout the past year, or I guess the past four years, uh, I should say, I've done a lot of uh, work on um, in regard to climate change, namely through, um, again, I was the former president of the Cesar Chavez Service Club at my school and in our school district, in fact. Um, and, and through that um, organization, I helped uh, lead projects that, that sort of um, helped give, give voice to, to youth. Thank you so much. And David? Hi, everyone. Um, and thank you so much for, for letting me be here with this, with this panel of expert Gen Zers. Um, I want to just mention that um, I'm, I'm not an environmentalist specialist. I'm a behavioral health specialist. And I spent the first part of my career working almost entirely with uh, young people, typically even pre-adolescents, but also some adolescent children um, and their families. And, and I'm a trauma specialist. So while I certainly didn't get any training in graduate school specific to how to deal with mental health around climate change, it's really about um, developing uh, coping mechanisms and strategies for how to move forward and how to keep yourself staying mentally capable. Um, and, and also uh, my, my personal mission is to help alleviate pain and suffering. So um, that, that's kind of where we're going here. And, and, and I hope I can be helpful. I was going to toss it to John, but I'll go ahead and, and take it. I, I, feel like, I feel like we need to do a check-in. I know that there's a lot going on. And in talking to uh, a few of youth activists and speakers, you know, it, it would just be nice if we could just do a simple check-in. Um, so we'll begin with Maya. With everything that's going on, how are you, how are you doing? Yeah, thank you so much for checking in and for giving us the space to talk about how we might be processing some recent events. I've had um, a lot of feelings recently, and I've been feeling a lot of gratitude for the strong women in my life who've been there to support me and to share their own experiences about some of the news that's been really distressing. Um, I feel I'm feeling a lot of gratitude for living in California, where we have some laws to help prioritize women in healthcare, and I'm just feeling a continual motivation to go into healthcare and medicine myself and to just continue to be an advocate for women in that system. Well, Yeah, um, so I, I would say recent events have only really exact, exacerbated um, for me what I think a lot of youth um, feel when it comes to, to climate change. Um, and that is very strongly wanting to see a certain change um, and then only to feel completely devastated um, and, and powerless because, you know, government officials completely um, ignore that that want of yours, that desire. Um, I'm, I don't know if you want to hear from David as well. Were you going to say something, David? Sure. Um, I, I, I put on my presentation face for this conversation. Um, in, my, in my personal life, though, I'm, I'm very frustrated. Um, I, I, I kind of tend to partition some of those things. I think that the, the truth of it is um, I'm at a point in my life right now where I need to take 
a break from all of the things that are coming in from media, not giving up, but taking a break. And I'll probably talk about that a little bit more and just some coping strategies later on. We talked a bit about what each of you does. I'm curious, how did you get involved doing what you're doing? Because, I mean, a large part of this is a lot of people are taking in news about things that are going terribly. All three of you are involved in doing stuff about it. So maybe start with you, Hoel, and then Maya, and then David. How did you decide to take action, and what was it like to get started and, and become involved? Um well, uh, I was fortunate enough to growing up have uh, community leaders who, uh, you know, provided someone for me to to look up, uh, up to. Um, like in my school, for instance, when I uh, first joined the Caesar Chavez Service Club, um, I I was through the the program introduced to, um, you know, elected officials, um, and then also just throughout my education in in school, um, like in regards to climate change. Um, it, it was just, it, it grew increasingly frustrating as I, frustrated as I began to learn more and more of, of all the issues we're facing and, and the, all like the, the little that is being done to, to combat said issues. Um, so then kind of in, in that frustration, um, I, you know, I, in, in my club leadership, I, that's kind of why I catered our, our projects to, towards climate change. Thank you. Maya? Yeah, so I first became involved with mental health advocacy just because mental health and mental health challenges have been a big part of my experience growing up, and it's been something that's featured a lot into my family as well. So I've always been really motivated to learn more about mental health and mental illness, and being someone that's really interested in neuroscience as a career path, that was something that I was super interested in learning more about. And through that, I've really learned how a lot of other young people are feeling a lot of climate anxiety like me. And I think that it's been a really wonderful way to learn about how, as young activists, we can help care for our own mental health in order to put forth, um, just put forth the best foot and continue to make a change. And David, I want to append a, a, a part of this, which is when you were their age, did you have any idea where you would end up today? I, I had an idea that, well, no, not in the current job, but I had an idea that it would probably be one of two ways. And even all the way through college, it was still going to be one of those two ways. Um, but I think it just had a very early, like, this is what I feel. I don't want to say calling like a spiritual kind of thing, but it's like, this is what I feel compelled to do like every once in a while in your life. And it's rare. You get that. This is the correct thing that I'm supposed to be doing feeling. So when you get it, you got to grab it. Thank you so much all. Well, let's get into Blue Shield's uh, Blue Shield of California's second annual Next Gen Climate Survey. A large majority of Gen Z youth, 75% nationwide and 80% in California, have experienced a mental health-related issue, such as anxiety, stress, and or feelings of being overwhelmed as a result of reading, seeing, or hearing news about climate change. And so we'll begin with Maya. What are you worried about most when you know it comes to climate change? Um, I think for me, my answer is so very influenced by where I live. Um, I think I always say fires and smoke and just sort of the extreme heat and all that 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 I think of because that's something that's really impacted my life the most. Um, I've I work outside and I work with kids and the constant smoke in the summers is just it's something that is so terrible and anxiety provoking and that's been around for as long as I can remember. I remember being really little in first grade and just lying in my bed terrified that a fire was going to come and burn my neighborhood down. And I think that's really continued to be a large fear and source of anxiety as I get older. 
Hoel, want to share with us uh, some of your worries, especially right seeing all this, these, uh, the news, the headlines about climate change. But for you, what are you worried about most? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say just quite simply, I'm worried about not having a sustainable home or a planet. You know, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily within within my lifetime, but I mean, even though literally as we speak, we definitely are seeing those real world negative consequences of climate change. But uh, but at least certainly within the lifetimes of, of the generations that Gen Z is meant to pass the torch down to. Um, and, and, and again, it's stressful when the decisions being made today um, primarily affect you, like our generation. Um, and yet we feel as if we have the, the least stake in, in the conversation. Uh, let's continue on a couple of those points before we bring David back into this conversation to help us, you know, process some of these feelings that we might be feeling and, and then talking about fear um, when it comes to our youth community, but these issues, you know, that you mentioned, the rising temperatures in California, the the fires, uh, the, the, there's a direct impact when it comes to it. And I want you both to talk about, you know, kind of what the impact truly means directly, right, for the youth community. I will tell you, when I was your age, I looked to the future. I didn't think about the, the, my, a reality where I might have to move because of a fire. I didn't think about, um, I might not have a home uh, to live in anymore. I was thinking about becoming, I don't know, an astronaut or something, you know, but talk to us, like give us some of the specific impacts that it has had on you and or your peers. Maya? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, the largest impact I see, um, because I do work with children and I've done that outside because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's been a real balancing act between making sure I'm prioritizing children's safety while being indoors and having a risk of spreading illness and taking these kids outside and seeing them coughing in the smoke and seeing them just drenched in sweat after minutes from just trying to be outside and play on the playground. And it's so sad to me as I think about wanting to start my own family one day to see the world that these kids are growing in, up in where they can't even breathe when they walk outside on some days. And it is, it's one of the saddest things to me to see that and to think about how those effects will only continue to worsen in future generations. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even firsthand, I've seen the effects of, of climate change disproportionately affecting minority communities. Um, for instance, slightly Slightly before my time, a freeway was built in the heart of, of my community. Um, and this is a low-income minority uh, neighborhood and, or community. And this would not have happened, I don't think, in, in an affluent neighborhood whose residents' jobs, for instance, don't require them to work 12-hour um, shifts. So they're able to make it to like a, a community forum or they have the economic means to, to combat uh, you know, the city. Um, um, so now, so, so I mean, now as a result of that, you have groups of people who are, for instance, more likely to suffer from asthma from the increased CO2 levels. And I mean, this unfair kind of distribution of the harm is another reason why I'm so passionate about climate change. David, let's bring it back to you now. I mean, we brought up stress, we brought up anxiety, brought up uh, these these feelings of, you know, feeling overwhelmed and also including, you know, fear. But talk to us from a clinical perspective, as well as bring it home for us and how we can handle these feelings, um, you know, for our youth community. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Michelle, one of the things I, I wanted to just kind of mention uh, as Maya and Joel were talking, I was thinking about there, there's something called like secondary trauma adverse or tra- secondary or secondary adverse 
effects of trauma. So we think about wildfires, for example. Um, I was working at uh, Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego, and this was, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 11 years ago. And there are these huge wildfires that covered a big significant portion of the county. And the air quality was so bad that schools were shut down. Um, what else happened? There were so many evacuations that at one point, 30% of hospital employees had to be evacuated from their homes. So you're thinking about the trauma that they're going through and then the impact on just infrastructure when you've got a hospital system or you know, a hospital where 30% of employees are being evacuated and their kids' schools are being closed. So like, I can't come to school. I can't come to work because my kids can't go to school. I don't have anywhere to leave them. And also I'm being evacuated. So it's, it's like these like systems of um, yeah, it's like the personal trauma that I'm going through, but you also have to keep things running uh, and how complicated that is to deal with when everybody is so stressed out. Um, and, and so, and that's just sort of on, on top of what you're going through. And so it's, it's really complicated when you're in the middle of an acute trauma to develop coping skill. Like you're, you're in a, you're in a state of, of um, really elevated stress and your heart rate is changing, your respiration rate changes, the blood vessels constrict around the heart and over time it can cause additional health challenges. And so when, you, when I think it's really important as we talk about during times of non-crisis to get yourself ready and like build up your defenses so that when times of crisis happen, you've got some kind of planning in place. And even though it doesn't make it enormously easier or simple, there are at least things that you have uh, a bit of a more of a roadmap to, to, to work through. David, I want to stick with you, stick with you for a moment. And so this was the, the second annual uh, study or survey of this. Can you, are there any differences of note between the results this year and last year? Well, you know, the, uh, the, the big difference is that the last time that we did it was right around going back to school after COVID for the first time. And so young people's stressors were quite different. Although it's interesting because the thing that's stressing us out might change, but the body doesn't really know much of a difference. Like your body understands stress and elevated cortisol and adrenaline levels, and it acts out. And the more these things sort of compound against each other, it's almost like intersectionality, but for stressors. And so it's like the way I've, I've, I've experienced this stressor and this stressor. And, um, and then you're talking about the, the political environment right now. Um, I say right now, although this has really been intense for much longer than than right now, but the intersectionality of COVID and shelter in place and going back to school and figuring out how to deal with that and teachers being so frustrated with the workspace and 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 then you're talking about global environmental change. It's no wonder that our bodies just feel really worn out and that these stresses are these these the intensity of the feeling comes across like Michelle said within the climate survey where we're talking about anxiety, tension, stress, frustration, but it's also things like somatic concerns like headaches um, or, or just that fatigue or that difficulty sleeping. Some of those things that you don't always associate with mental health, but they're very, very closely tied. Maya or Hoel give you an opportunity to share and respond to David, if you'd like, before we move on to the next question, anything to add Maya? 
I feel like you've been like, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love sort of making that connection between how your body is handling this stress and the ways that it's exhibited in your own life. And for someone that wants to go into neuroscience, that really resonates with me. Um, And I always like thinking about that because I think it is such a motivator for us to, yes, continue to be advocates and continue to learn and take in information, but also to take time to care for ourselves because that's what's going to be the most helpful in the long run for us to use our voices is if we're, we're avoiding burnout and we're just making sure to prioritize prioritize ourselves in that process as well. All right, let's uh, move on to a next point in this survey. So doing many of these interviews and talking to youth speakers and activists, I always say that I have hope in our future generations, but at the same time, I feel bad that so much of my hope is placed on youth activists. And I say this because a lot of youths are just mobilizing and organizing despite the stress that they feel. So going back to the survey, despite these mental health challenges, four out of five youth, 81% nationwide, 86% in California, say that they have personally taken action to respond to climate change. The poll was conducted by the Harris Poll in March 2022, surveying 1,300 youth ages 14 to 24 nationwide, including over 300 in California. So to what I had just said, right, Despite feeling these things, despite going through the stress, youths are trying to save the world, save the planet. Maya? Yes, absolutely. I think that a big motivation behind that is because young people, especially people that are under 18 and are not able to vote yet, I think they feel so powerless sometimes. Like they don't aren't able to have a voice in the decisions that are being made. And I think that whatever forms of organization and activism they're finding are ways for them to maybe deal with their own feelings of hopelessness and helplessness as well. Um, and maybe David can confirm that or talk a little bit more about that if that is um, a healthy response is to combat your stress with activism and work. Um, I'm really interested in that. And I think that's a big reason for why we see so many people coming together and organizing is because sometimes they feel that's the only way they are able to make a change. Can I jump back in on that one, Michelle? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and and my, I would, I would say usually yes, but watch for overcompensating um, because yeah, getting involved is like, uh, it can come with a sense of accomplishment while we're accomplishing, but being an activist, he means that we really spend most of the time feeling a little bit defeated. Um, and so there's that, that possibility to set ourselves up for more devastation. If we put all of our passion into it without going meta every once in a while and watching ourselves, when I say go meta, it's like, it's almost like think about yourself in the third person. And like there, there really is, it might sound a little hokey, but like that time where you legit, like in the evening toward the end of the day, when you're tired and you're by yourself looking in the mirror and kind of doing that, who is this person? And, and if I'm a, if I'm watching my life, like it's a movie, how would I describe this person in the third person and what they're going through and the stresses that they're going through? And how do I think they're handling it? It kind of gives you like a little bit of a, mo- a safe, like emotional distance from yourself. If you can give yourself permission to do this you know, like legitimately. Um, and then there are, there should be times when you say, I don't know if this person can take a whole lot more of this. Maybe they need a break or this person is maybe going a little too intense. Maybe they need to pull back. So it's like, if, but if it's just you and you're just focused, like from the inside of your body and you're go, go, go all the time, you just got to watch your intensity level because the burnout and crash can sometimes be worse than the stressor that caused you to become active in the first place. 
Thank you so much for that, Maya and David. So there's the, the one end where, you know, youth are speaking up and they're mobilizing and organizing in, in that way. And then there's the other end of it, which is, you know, even things like recycling and, and being active in the fight against, you know, climate change, you know, small things like that. So, Howell, can you talk to us about how youths are fighting climate change, how they're active in trying to fight it? Yeah, um... Well, you know, when when we like legally can't yet take the reins on government positions because you know we're we're not there yet in terms of age, um, a lot of the work I've seen um, and and that I've been involved in personally has including has included advocating and and uh, educating. So, for instance, one of my projects was um, a community forum where we invited elected officials from our you know our school district, our uh, electoral district, our city, our um, county. Um, and, and also as, as well as members of the community to have this kind of conversation where we wanted to, um, I, I guess, in a sense, hold our, our elected officials accountable and, and, assure, and assure ourselves and the community that, um, that they are acting in our best interest and that they know that, um, that climate change or combating climate change is what we want. I'm going to just read very quickly again, just some stats on that in youths being active. Uh, according to the survey, young people are stepping up to make a difference by relying less on plastic products. So that's 54% nationwide, 64% in California, reducing the use of electricity, 45% nationwide, 52% in California, and working to conserve water, 38% nationwide, 53% in California. I'm curious to know how these stats stack up next to adults uh, when it comes to trying to save the planets. But uh, David, why don't you kind of help us round out this part of the conversation by talking a little bit more about, you know, I had opened up with saying that I feel bad by relying on our youth to save our planet because I know how active that they are, not just in speaking up, but doing things like reducing their carbon footprint. Um, Maybe there's some stuff there that we can, that you can bring up for both adults and youths when we talk about climate change and these stressors. It, it does feel like passing the buck a little bit sometimes, doesn't it? Um, or it's like, well, we couldn't figure it out. So let's just give it to the kids because they'll figure it out. I mean, it's just sort of a ridiculous thing to to think about saying that. I don't mean kids pejoratively. I just mean like as a something that one might say. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, it's interesting you say that too, Michelle. So I'm, I'm, I'm a late Gen Xer. I'm like on the cusp, like an end of Gen X before millennial begins. And when I was a child, nobody wore seatbelts. It wasn't a thing. And um, motor vehicle related fatalities were outrageous. And I remember when I was in first and second grade, there were all these campaigns about teaching children to put their seatbelts on. And then basically we were taught how to seatbelt shame our parents into putting their seatbelts on. And it was, I say that in a, in a way to kind of be funny, but it was like, I told my parents to put their seatbelts on in the car because it was just a behavior that they weren't used to doing. I think that there's really something to be said for motivating young people with a passion around safety and um, survival, really, um, to learn something, learn it really well, and then teach generate like teach like have it rather than have it cascade to younger generations have it cascade to older generations to pick up on some of that motivation that might not have been as ingrained um in the schools and and certainly we didn't have social media so we didn't really see as much of it when we were children or when we were youth i'm kind of curious Hoel and, and maya um are you optimistic 
about things that could be happening or are happening um, regarding climate change. And kind of regardless of what your answer to that is, what would either make you optimistic if you're not or make you more optimistic that this is going to be addressed well? You know, what would you have to see? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say currently I, I, I would say I am, am optimistic despite, um, you know, current elected officials maybe not being as, um, you know, accepting of, of reform as I'd like them to be. To be. Um, I am optimistic because a great majority, as this survey has showed, of, of youth total, definitely are. And as we grow older and, and are, you know, able to take those those positions of power, I think we're going to start seeing um, a lot of that change. And um, but was something that would make me even more optimistic is if we did see, you know, older generations kind of um, agreeing with us and, and joining that that movement. How about you, Maya? Yeah, I would agree. I think that I'm optimistic, not overly so, but I think that I'm just always continually inspired by my peers and a lot of the circles that I'm with and learning about all the different kinds of activism that they're involved with. I think that Part of this is because young people have grown up with a world that is very scary in a lot of ways, and it can feel really dystopian. So I think we have a lot of motivation to make that positive change we want to see. And I would just be more motivated um, as people get older to see them take those positions and to be able to take a more active role, which I'm really hoping we'll get to see as some of my peers are continue to get older and to gain information and the ability to make a difference. It's a good segue. I keep hearing um, us go back to an intergenerational disconnection, at least from the youth perspective, of not feeling heard or not feeling like you're being taken seriously with the concerns that you might have, you know, about climate change. I'd love to give you an opportunity to be transparent, open, and it's safe here to really talk about, you know, what do you mean? And I heard elected leaders. Who else are we talking about? What's been some of the challenges that you have faced when it's when it comes to, you know, you speaking out and then feeling like no one's hearing you when it comes to climate change? Uh, Howell? Yeah, I mean, even just in, in, in you know, my local government, um, for a long time, we... We wanted to see more more reform um, in in the form of laws, but um, that hasn't uh, really happened, and it's a lot of the reason why um, you know youth organizations um, such as the Caesar Chavez Service Club have been pushing to to educate the community um, because we we figure if enough people um, share that same belief or, or want to see that change and, and make their voices heard. Um, the more of us there are, the you know the the harder we are to ignore. Maya, yeah, I think because um, I've had so many conversations with my peers about mental health and the things that are sources of anxiety for them, I've heard um, from multiple people that something that they've really dealt with intergenerationally has been being um, in a therapy or a counseling situation and them sharing their feelings of climate anxiety with a healthcare provider or a counselor and the person that they're speaking to and trying to help really trying to minimize those challenges and to help or to 
to paint their anxiety as sort of spiraling or as feeling really negative. But what they need in that moment is validation, I think. And I think that is a big, a big challenge is trying to have a conversation about the ways in which you feel that the world, world you're inheriting is completely dangerous and unpredictable for you and older people trying to help quell those fears and to minimize them. And I think just having validation and trying to fix that, maybe a bit of a disconnect between the generations would be something that would be really helpful for young activists. Where, because obviously the the framing of issues as well as, you know, both getting information out to people about climate change, as well as whether it's fear-mongering or whether it's giving you actual useful information. Um, I mean, media plays such an important role and often, unfortunately, not a helpful role these days um, as the media landscape has just continued to fracture and kind of become more polarized. But um, I'm curious about where you learn information about climate change and and, uh, where you seek it out in order to make sure you're getting good information. Um, Maya? Yes. um, I think my answer to this is a little bit unique because I actually don't use social media. I just know that that's something for my own mental health that isn't beneficial. So a lot of the information I get um, comes from podcasts. I love podcasts and trying to listen to reputable and podcasts that are trying to give me unbiased information has been really helpful, I think. Um, There's a really great podcast on climate anxiety by NPR's Life Kit that I really like, and it gives some really awesome tangible tips for people to care for themselves while they're also advocating for our planet. Um, And I think just also trying to be conscious of my news intake and maybe trying to silence some of those breaking alerts from from prominent news sources is a way to help find a good balance between staying educated and aware while also prioritizing my own mental health. Thank you. How about you, Hoel? Yeah, um, I would say I get most of, you know, my news intake from, uh, you know, reputable reputable news outlets, um, you know, the newspaper um, or digital newspaper, um, um, as well as the local news. Um, but then also, um, I would say, like a lot of my peers, I do get a lot of my information off of uh, social media just because um, it's so accessible. But I I do agree it's it's not sometimes the most positive off there on, on social media. It can often incite anger when it's uh, delivered, you know, the way it is on there. I, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the Commonwealth Club has a podcast called Climate One, um, which it, we've been doing for 11, 12 years, um, obviously focused on climate change and, and such. Um, David, could you talk a little bit about the role of the media or social media in affecting the mental health of young people? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say, to go with what Maya was talking about, just about getting different sources of news. Um, I used to watch one news channel that was kind of the echo chamber. And I caught myself saying, you know what, I'm, I'm only hearing things that I want to hear. So why don't I watch the other channel that I know is saying things I'm going to disagree with just to hear what other people are hearing. And then it makes me even more frustrated. So then I'm like, well, what if I listen to like BBC, world news, like, like from like British channels or Agence France or something like that, where I'm hearing like international news, so you're getting a different, I think that concept of like genuinely seeking out some additional perspective, um, but what I what I want to say from media and too is that there really are safe media guidelines for talking about a lot of things. Suicide prevention, for example, 
there are safe and unsafe ways of talking about suicide prevention. And saying the word suicide is not dangerous. There are a lot of other keywords, or like putting things in the headlines or certain kinds of pictures and imagery or trying to recreate a traumatic narrative so that people visualize how bad something might be or might get. That's not really helping um, for people to think about what they think about it. Um, it's, it's really kind of trying to elicit an emotional response and you've got to ask yourself, what kind of emotional, res- like, is this an emotional response that's helping me to know what to do and to potentially feel better and to activate me in a good way? Or is this an emotional response that's making me want to, you know, continue on like less than adaptive coping skills? Like, am I just in it for the drama um, uh, or the, or the, you know, the, the, like I, I, my, my partner watches a lot of reality TV and I'm like, reality TV is usually a lot of people just bickering with each other most of the time. And I'm like, I don't really get a whole lot out of this, right? Um, so I think that when we say the role of the media, it what's complicated is you have to develop a skill set to really know when to believe or question what it is that you're hearing. And that really does take something like, I, I didn't develop that skill set until much later in life because I was raised in a very conservative community that was like, these are the books, these are the textbooks, this is the truth, you will believe these things. And I just did for a long time. It wasn't until I was in university when I was like, wait, I can think for myself. So I think that though that Gen Z has a much earlier development of that skill set because you're forced to, because the, you're so flooded with information um, when I talked about sometimes it's like literally flooded because it's a mile wide, but only about a foot deep as opposed to like genuine, like, like, like a grand, like, like a, like a canyon of information. That's maybe it's not that wide, but it's super deep and you really, really get it. So it's like really under, trying to figure out where are those sources of information that like, like Maya said are credible, but what makes you think they're credible? Is it just because their opinions are similar to yours? Or is it that statement of like, let's just agree on what the most basic facts are so we can move forward after that? I want to have a discussion, you know, about going back to talking about everything that we have and the stress and the trauma that we may be facing as a community, but especially the youth community. Uh, Maya, Howell, what are you hearing from your peers, what you're seeing or witnessing and how much harder it gets for our marginalized communities? And what I mean by that are, you know, youths who come from immigrant families, youth who are LGBTQIA+, uh, or BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, or people of color communities. Let's talk about, you know, how climate change may directly affect those types of communities and those youths, um, who are all of us, by the way, but, but that, uh, you know, in, in a way in which David can talk about equity and how that also, when we talk about stress and trauma, applies to our affected communities. Maya, we'll begin with you. Yeah, I think a lot of times for people who have been marginalized in so many other ways, it can just feel like another layer. And I think that from the people that I've talked to um, in multiple different circles, especially um, in connection with mental health and climate anxiety, there's just so much at play for people that are marginalized. And it feels like you have so much stacked against you and it can be a little bit unnavigable you can't navigate it. And I think that that's really challenging for people as they're trying to prioritize what they're going to be passionate about and what they're going to have a lot of activism towards. Um, And I think that can be challenging to feel as if there are so many different challenges you have stacked against you and climate change just adds another layer to that. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, like, like I mentioned earlier with my, uh, the example I cited in my um, personal life in my neighborhood, it's, it's, it's frustrating 
being a minority or a marginalized in a marginalized group because you experienced the, the brunt of of the effects um that we're facing and um and, and just it's kind of even made worse by the fact that um a lot of times people in power um you know don't look like you don't have those same experiences um yeah and, that, and that's why it's that's why it's such a frustrating issue some, and something i look to try to amend in my career yeah yeah it's very tough and so david i look to you you know to add your thoughts on this but it, the physical health there's the mental health there's not only feeling of um you know stress and experience of trauma itself but I don't even, I can't even begin to articulate what might be the, the long lasting impact on our youths who are marginalized. But when we talk about even solutions, I think that it's very important that we talk about equity and then access to health and equity in that. So David. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm really glad we're talking about this. And what we're talking about is minority related stress too. Right. So if you've got, um, like I'm, I'm a white man and I have white male, I have white cisgender male privilege. Um, I don't have straight privilege, which is a whole other layer, but it's like when you already start with a level of, um, crap you have to deal with all the time and excuse me but and then it's like and then you add in additional things you're if you have more um more of these intersectional stressors your baseline normal is different from someone who doesn't have the same kind of level of of everyday stressors right so that's again like taking it as like you only have capacity for 100%. There is no such thing as 110%. So it's really about monitoring. It's like, I'm already at, you know, like this, you know, like 85%. I don't know if I can really take on this issue. And I have to know when to pick and choose which things I get in on. For, for me, it was like not even, about 10 years ago when other people decided whether or not I'm allowed to get married in this country. And it was like, so I have worked for 30 something years, like, like fighting for this, just like basic level of equality, just basic marriage equality. And then for a minute, you got to be like, oh, we got there. And then it was like, well, now we have all this other, it was like, no, you can only rest for like a minute because now we're talking about gender equity. I mean, we're talking about so many other things that we have to continue working with. And it's exhausting to constantly be fighting for things that benefit everybody. Um, when you've got these, what sounds like, people coming up with ridiculous arguments fighting against something that serves nobody. And so it's like, why is it that you're so passionately fighting against this thing that doesn't even impact you or that will impact other people if you fight against it? Um, and it, and it's just a, a this constant um, sense of, it, it's so easy to get overwhelmed when you're activated on so many different levels Yet we feel a responsibility if we don't do this, who else will? And I think that that's even more intense for Gen Z. Um, but it, it's, again, that's kind of why I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, you're saying, how are you feeling? And I was like, I'm at a point in my life where I was like, I need to take a little bit of a break. I'm expecting children next year. I'm a little bit anxious about the environment moving forward for them. What are schools going to be like for them by the time that they're ready to go into school? Um, so it, it doesn't mean giving up. Um, and I, and I realize that comes with a lot of privilege because there's times when you can decide not to deal with something. And there are times when you don't get to decide whether or not you deal with it, of course. Um, but I think it is okay to say, I need to take a break for six months or a year 
and then I'm going to breathe and then I'm going to come back and rejoin this fight. Even, even the Roman soldiers on the front lines had to fight for a little bit and then they got to go to the back if they were still alive. They got to go to the back of the line and rest while the lines moved up. And I think that um, as all of us fighting against or for certain causes, um, there needs to be an opportunity for us to take some rest as well. Like David, I'm a, a Gen Xer, though I'm on the older end of that uh, spectrum. Um, and one change I've definitely seen over the time, I mean, we wore seatbelts when I was a kid, but um, one change I think I've seen, uh, you know, in just around me, as well as looking at national trends and everything, is that we used to not talk much about mental health. It was very stigmatized. It was, um, you know, something that happened over there to other people. Um, and I, I, I'm certainly not saying we're at, we're at uh, um, a utopian p- position now, but I am saying I think it's a lot better that we're talking about it and so many people are able to say that, yes, this is an issue, this is a problem, I deal with X, Y, Z, you know, and you've got, you know, athletes coming out and talking about it, you've got politicians and such, as well as, you know, hearing from students and others. Um, so I'm wondering... In this new atmosphere, what should people do when they when they are re- when they realize, hey, I, I, you know, I'm really being stressed out by by this, and it could be climate change. It might be other issues as well. But you know, what can they do to help themselves? What are maybe some steps they can take to address that? And then maybe what can they do to help others? I'd love to hear from all three of you, but maybe start with David. I think the first, I'm, I'm glad you asked you, and it's going to be a little bit different for everyone. So I certainly can't write a prescription that's going to say, here's how you're going to feel better tomorrow. Um, but I would say that the first step is always going to be recognizing that you're going through something. Um, and, and genuinely, even if you're not a talker, like talk about it. Um, there's almost always somebody who gets you, who sees you or hears you or someone who gets you or sees you or hears you enough for you to have some kind of conversation. And if you don't have that person in your life, there are plenty of hotlines, there's crisis text line for just to kind of get it out there. Or even, and I know it sounds kooky, and of course a therapist would say this, but journaling really is a thing because it's getting the thoughts out of your head and onto the paper or out in words. So long as you're not saying the exact same thing over and over and over again and perseverating on that, but like getting yourself in a supportive situation where you're feeling seen and heard is really the most basic common thing that we can do to help start feelings is is universalizing kind of what we're going through and knowing that we're not going through this alone. But the second thing is also to, um, when you, when you go forward and having those conversations, allow the help to help. And I think a lot of people put a barrier up of like, nothing's going to help me. Nothing's going to get better. Climate change isn't going to change or, you know, equality or my healthcare rights or access to healthcare. It's allow people who not, not that they're going to just put a, you know, blow sunshine up your nose and put a golden lining on every storm cloud. But those, those moments when you recognize I am being heard at least by this one person, or I am being seen by this one person. And I'm not saying social media, one person or a like on a thing. Um, Cause that's just, I will. And this is the last, I'm going to stop talking after this one. I just want to say the one thing that I always need. I always feel like a little bit compelled to say is that a lot of times when people feel a little bit lonely, we'll go on TikTok or Instagram or something like that. And for the moments that we're on those, and I don't mean, I'm not getting paid by Instagram or TikTok. I'm just endorsing them. I'm just citing them for the moment that we're sitting there scrolling 
there's a part of your brain that believes that your need for social interaction is being met. But as soon as you turn it off, it completely stops. So it's not like you've had a wonderful conversation with a loved one and then you go to bed feeling pretty good about it. It's a real synthetic feeling that your social needs are being met, which is why we talk about that sense of loneliness that so many people have, especially young people um, who spend so much time on social media, but maybe not as much time interacting with other human beings in a face-to-face kind of way without physical um, interaction. So um, anyway, I just put, put that one out there and, and leave it on the table. Thank you. Well, what do you think? What are some things that people can do to help themselves or others? Um, I think I like to keep in mind um, as youth in our advocacy efforts, it's you know important to remember that it's not, it's not our job, I guess, to, to fix the world's problem. It oftentimes feels that way because of like, we've been talking about this entire show, it's that pressure and, and kind of the fear, it makes you feel as if you need to. Um, but if, you know, if in your advocacy, maybe you fell or, or there's some hiccups, it's not, you know, it's not on you. Um, I mean, this isn't even this isn't even the problem you created. It's certainly one we need to fix, but um, just bear in mind that, that it's, you're not the, you know, the savior or you don't have to be. Um, and, you know, just uh, there's plenty of time to, to keep trucking along. Thank you. And Maya. Yeah, absolutely. And Hoel, I really like that point. I think that that is such a great reminder for so many people. Definitely. I think something that um, I've observed in my own life when I'm starting to feel a lot of anxiety surrounding something is I like to try and put language to it. And I know that's something that's been helpful for a lot of my peers as well. So even just taking a step back and saying, I think I'm experiencing some climate anxiety right now, and maybe talking about some emotions that can surround that and can help you process that a little bit. Um, And I think that that is just something that, yes, if you have someone in your life that can be a figure of support, definitely have that conversation with them. But if you need to even just say that with yourself and allow yourself to be present about what you're feeling, I think you can feel a lot of pride around that. And even if you're feeling like you might be failing in your activism, you can feel pride that you're in touch with yourself and you're able to help yourself regulate a little bit. Thank you all so much. It's a great you know, tie-in and segue as we enter the final 10 minutes of our program. Uh, to a couple stats that I want to read from the survey. But, you know, Maya and I were talking right before the program, we talked about the different layers of what we all can be doing. It doesn't have to be incredibly extreme, like, you know, getting a law passed all on your own. Uh, And it can be subtle. It can be things like, yes, talking about climate change, climate change anxiety, and being there for a friend. But I think that there's a lot of hope in the ways that people are being creative about having this discussion. We put this program together and it was meant to be intergenerational. Something that you can take from it if you're youth tuning in today, something you can take away from it if you're an adult and you've got children. And then of course, to all of those of you who are in positions of power and or privilege, what could you be doing? Well, let me read a couple stats from the survey that might give you some thoughts. Okay, so three quarters of youth, 74% nationwide, 74% in California, say that they agree that companies in the U.S. bear some responsibility to help people combat the impacts of climate change on their mental health. An overwhelming majority, 85% nationwide, 86% in California, believe it is important to support brands, 
companies that are sustain sustainable and or environmentally friendly. Um, and then I just want to read one more stat. If you are thinking about it from a, you know, I guess talking to elected leaders and or policies, um, the vast majority of respondents to the sur survey, by the way, who are youths, 81% nationwide, 84% in California agree that global leaders are not doing enough to combat climate change. So let's put all three of those stats together and let's have, you know, some, some, some thoughts from you as we wind down on this conversation. Uh, Maya, talk to us about, you know, the different types of conversations or maybe actions and or things that you want to remind folks from an intergenerational perspective with three, these three points in mind from the survey, how we can be doing things differently starting well, I guess right after this program. Yes, absolutely. I think that the point that really resonated with me was about supporting brands that are sustainable and that are having a lot of practices in place. And I think a lot of people's fear around that sometimes comes from the fact that these tend to be more luxury brands or the brands we tend to see advertised this way tend to be really expensive. I know that Patagonia is always on the top of the lists for brands that are sustainable, but that isn't a viable option for a lot of people who are maybe um, in a different realm in their socioeconomic journey. And I I think it's important to remember that there are so many different ways to find sustainable brands and sustainable methods from donating your own clothes to looking at consignment stores and even online places like ThreadUp that are going to be recycling clothing. And you can help make a difference in your own purchasing patterns. Um, and it doesn't have to be incredibly expensive as well. So just thinking about all the different ways and you can get involved and doing your own research into which of those paths might be a good fit for you. Hello. I know when we did our prep call, you're very passionate about calling on leaders. And that's a big part of your, your work and really being critical of the folks who are not doing the work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And in keeping that in mind, I think it's also important to, to remember that this is something that's, that's going to require um, help from all generations. Um, so it, it does definitely mean elected officials doing their part. Um, it also means, um, you know, youth continuing their activism, parents uh, also, you know, supporting that, but then just also communication across, you know, all generations. This is not an issue. Um, it's an issue that affects us all and it's going to uh, keep affecting um, generations as, as we move along. So it's something that we need to kind of band together to, to resolve. David, um, some reply. Oh, go ahead, John. No, I was going to open it up for David to have those did. final opinions about those three big stats. Because even though you know they were youth respondents, I feel those those three big yeah. critical points were pointed to to us. <laughs> no, no, you're and you're right. Um, I, I think it's. It, it, I think it really speaks to what uh, Howell was saying earlier about like, not you know, like we shouldn't have to take on all of this responsibility. So, Hey, let's talk about corporate America. And like, you know, we're already upset about how your taxes are getting paid or not. And it's like, why don't you go ahead and maybe chip in on this environmental problem that you're really part of the cause of. Um, and this is why like, for, for example, Blue Shield, we were carbon negative by 2020. I'm sorry. We're carbon neutral by 2020. And we have the goal of becoming carbon negative by 2023. And it's part of like, when you're doing it, make sure you're telling other people that you're doing it too, because then it becomes competitive. And like other companies are like, oh, well, there's like, there's that additional competitive pressure. Um, so it, it becomes a, a bit of a good thing. And then what Maya said too, it's like, um, it, in so many ways, it's so much is all about money. And so I think when you talk about like the, um, 
and I don't want to name names, but like certain industries that are known for polluting have lobbyists that are way better funded than environmental lobbies are in many ways. Um, so I think even the little pieces where you choose, it's one thing to choose to spend your money where you know it's good or to choose not to spend your money. Like there's a, there's a sandwich place where I haven't bought a chicken sandwich in over 10 years. It is probably the superior chicken sandwich. I got to tell you, I miss it. But I know that when I give my money there, it doesn't serve my cause where the, some of those dollars end up. And so I think the same thing for the environmental um, components of it. You, know, you don't always know who the good guys are, the good people are, the good businesses are, but sometimes you know who the bad ones are. And so let's just keep the dollars out. Um, another one of my big issues uh, that I worry about all the time um, is the erosion of democracy and uh, the possibility all of us might see the end of democracy in our country during our lifetimes. I mean, serious stuff. And yet in schools, a lot of schools don't have any civics. A lot of folks are never really taught how and why the systems work the way or were set up the way they were for better and worse. Um, so I wanted to ask each of you on, on just focusing on schools, high schools and colleges, um, what are they doing and what could they be doing better um, to inform and inspire people on climate issues? Start with Maya. Yes, um, I can only speak from my own experience at my school, but I know that a lot of the curriculum surrounding climate change and how people can become involved have to do with taking certain courses. And it's something that isn't always implemented into the mainstream. And I think that just by having more information on that in the core curriculum, we could help create a narrative that this is a problem that affects everyone. And it isn't something you can opt into like a class. It's something that everyone needs to be aware of. And that is a big step I think our schools can do in order to help educate everyone and make sure we're all on the same page about where, where our world is headed. Oh, well, your thoughts? Yeah, j just like Maya said in my school, um, most of the time, these are topics that are only discussed if you opt into to a class, maybe a government class or, or something of that sort. Um, but it's something we definitely need to see embedded into school. Um, I know in my school district, uh, a youth organization is working on, on just that, uh, getting... Uh, climate change um, education implemented into into the school day, um, and that's something I think uh, schools nationwide we need to see more of. Thank you. And David, any thoughts about schools can or should be doing? Yeah, yeah I, th I think students do a fantastic job about rallying and creating extracurricular clubs on campus and rallying enthusiasm around that. But without administration's legitimate buy-in to it. Um, it has some limited impact. Um, I, I think really what you got to do, uh, I think especially at the university level, although I think that there is going to be impact at the high school level too, is in, uh, if you had, let's say in San Diego County, for example, that there is a nursing shortage, you go to San Diego State and you go to UCSD and you say the county has this problem where we have a nursing, nursing shortage. So let's create maybe some elective courses that people who weren't necessarily thinking about nursing might take to draw interest in and ultimately be a pipeline, a career pipeline toward nursing. The same kind of thing can happen for uh, an environmental impact, but you don't want to teach it to people who are already interested in the environment, like what, what Maya and Hoel were saying. What you want is people who are getting their MBAs is to have embedded into their curriculum environmental responsibility, corporate responsibility for environmental impact and have that drawn into the MBA curriculum or, you know, some, or as an example. 
um, or some of the other curriculums where having conversations around the environment might not at all be in the forefront, yet they're entering into industries that have a, a direct impact on the environment. And I think even in high school, kind of what you're saying is like, you know, if you're already interested in it, you're going to take a course. But if it, for people who wouldn't elective into it, not that we're like shoving anything down anyone's throat, but if you could talk about in certainly in a health class, but also like, are there any impacts for civil engineering? Like, or like when you're talking like with the environment or any of these other things where you just like weave it in there, bits and pieces into the curriculum and it impacts people's grades and their achievement when they get these questions correct, right? So long as you're on the right side of those things. Um, I also think is the last thing. Um, I think, and this is, I just want to say, this is my personal view and not necessarily the view of Blue Shield of California. I think that the voting age should be lowered to 16 and that schools and universities should offer some kind of points in certain classes for having voted, regardless of which way they voted, um, just for having engaged in that um, civil discussion. And uh, my view, and not of Blue Shields or the Commonwealth Club of California, I think that if that happened, there'd be a lot of people who would not win these elections and or would uh, be booted off. But we have a couple minutes left here. And I just want all of our, our anybody tuning in, our listeners, our viewers, uh, we want, I want to leave them with one or two things that they could, they could be doing if they're feeling, you know, climate anxiety that we had talked about. So something along the lines of self-care. So I'll go first. And, you know, I definitely count to 10. And I also love to take walks when I need to walks and listen to the birds, listen or see green, seeing green, seeing water helps me a whole lot. Hoel? I would say you're not alone in this. If, you know, it's ever, these issues are getting to you, um, have a conversation with a friend, uh, you know, a family member, uh, peer, um, just, you know, get it out there. You're not going through this alone. Maya? I think my favorite form of self-care um, and something that absolutely would not be beneficial for everyone, but I just know for me has been really helpful is to absorb comedy and to just find time to laugh. And, and there's actual science behind it. There are chemicals in your brain that are being released. And this is a real way to help cheer yourself up if that works for you. Um, so, you know, every Saturday night I'm watching SNL and I like to listen to comedy podcasts and to just find time for myself to laugh and to take a break from some of the heavy work that I, that I discuss on a daily basis. And David, a couple personal things that you do for the self-care. I would say no matter how senior you ever get in the workplace, take a lunch break. And I was like, I like if as much as you can refuse to work through lunchtime so that in the middle of the day, you legitimately have some, some me time. I take my dog for a walk every day at, at noon um, and refuse to take meetings between noon and one. And I saved you for last, John, only because you will close out the show. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank all of our speakers. I want to thank all of you for joining. And, um, you know, again, happy pride from Chiang Mai here in Thailand. Can't wait to come back home and share with all of you uh, voices from our youth speakers on the other side of the world. And so, John, close out the show for us. Well, thank you again to our special guests on tonight's program. We all want to thank Blue Shield of California for generously supporting tonight's program. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for watching or listening online. You can find more programs at commonwealthclub.org. Stay safe and have a good week. Goodbye.
sunflowerofpeace.com. Hello to our Commonwealth Club podcast listeners and viewers. This is a quick note from us, the employees of the club. As the world watches in horror the atrocities in Ukraine, the Commonwealth Club is highlighting important organizations providing humanitarian aid to the victims of this war. Sunflower of Peace is an organization working to support the people of Ukraine affected by the Russian military invasion. In collaboration with a global network of organizations, Sunflower of Peace procures, ships, and distributes vital medical supplies to Ukrainian health workers. It provides first aid backpacks, medicines, and essential medical supplies necessary for the very survival of the victims of this war. We encourage you to learn more about how to support this important work by visiting sunflowerofpeace.com. Thank you.